Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 to 4. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 to 4. Uh, I think we got some coffee brewing, so if you need to get that, do that. All right, uh, so our theme today is really, it's, it's quite simple, and I want, I want you guys to really hear me out well. I know there's, I think you guys are used to the way I preach by now. I've only been doing this for 11 years, um, but it's, it's, it's quite informative. There's a lot of information, right? A lot of information, and so I'm going to do my best to try to speak as clearly and as concisely as possible, but I also want you to um, just do your best to hear. Like, if, if, it's, if you can't take down every note, that's fine. Um, I'd rather have you just listen, okay? So if it's, like, impossible for you to transcribe everything, um, that's okay. Okay, I can always, if you want, the, uh, I believe the sermon audio is going to be up too. And if you want some insider information, I can always show you my transcript, okay? So the, the theme is really just simply focus your faith on Jesus, okay? That's the entirety, the entire theme of, of this entire um, passage and this really this retreat too. Um, so the expression used here is fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, uh, the original audience of Hebrews as well as us, we can't fix our eyes on Jesus because, because Jesus, he had already died and he had already gone up to heaven. And then unless you can physically see Jesus, it is an impossibility for us here, right? So we can't actually see Jesus. So that's not what we're talking about. That's not what this passage here is talking about. So I want to read it real quick, okay? Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 to 4. <clears throat> Can someone read that for me? Okay, so it's not about fixing using our eyes, or but it's about fixing our attention to Jesus, or or thinking about Jesus without being distracted. Um, so when I was little, I played baseball, little league baseball, and my coach would often yell out, "Hey, Lim, you're horrible! Keep your eye on the ball!" Right? It was really cute, um, and he would he would say that constantly. I was actually a horrible, horrible baseball. This is like when I was in first, second grade. And so um, constructive criticism was crucial, uh, but something I didn't get. And so he would always say, David, keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball, right? Keep your eye on the ball, which means this. It means <coughs> keep looking at the baseball coming at you until your bat connects or hits with the baseball, right? So keep your eye on the ball. Has anyone ever played golf before or ever gone to like a golf range or just like has anyone ever just hit anything before? <laughs> right? So typically when you want to do that, you have to keep your eye on the ball. Right? Especially in golf. And, and, and I say this because that's something my dad always, <coughs> always taught me, even though, again, I'm horrible at golf. He would say this. He'd say, keep your eye on the ball. But the tendency is this. We like to swing and quickly look. Right? We like to quickly look. But in golf in particular, as well as other sports and tennis and whatever you want to call it, you must keep your eye fixated on the ball so that you can make that connection. And so my dad says, you know, when I, whenever, I go, whenever I go golf with him, he says, David, whole time, keep your eye on the ball and do not even look up. He says, I will chase the ball for you. I will find where the ball is hit, but you just keep your head down. And so there's a huge difference. And when I just kind of hit and try to look, and when I hit and I still look down because I actually connect with the ball. So that's the whole idea. The idea is keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, okay? And it's not about staring at Jesus like, again, with our physical eyes, but it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor about where our faith or hope should be centered in, 
Okay? So, fix your eyes on Jesus means keep yourself, every part of who you are, your thoughts, your emotions, every aspect of what makes you you centered on Jesus, fixed on him, or fix, focus your faith in Jesus. Like your hopes, your dreams, your ambitions, your thoughts, your daily, your mundane, daily, ordinary things, all that. Focus it on Jesus. But why? Well, you see, our theme for the retreat is to be what? Unashamed for Christ, right? It's to be unashamed. So, so far we talked about addressing <coughs> our doubts, these things that we've uh, kind of struggled with, uh, struggled with. Uh, about whether we should or shouldn't live unashamedly. We also talked about the costs of living uh, unashamedly, as in walking the straight and narrow path. And we also talked about what it means to be unashamed in terms of what it means to live in fear of God. And so today we're going to address now how to live unashamedly. Okay, how to do that. So from our text today, there are three reasons to why we should focus our attention on Jesus. Three reasons. Uh, I have my first point now, which is this, because he's our only hope. Because he's our only hope. So the faith that we have is the one true faith. Do you guys believe that? It's the one true faith. It's authentic. It's genuine. It is the one <coughs> true faith. And I know that I think uh, yesterday it was when I talked about how the world thinks all roads lead to God. That they believe that there are many faiths, faiths, but we don't believe that. The Bible says that our faith is true, is genuine. That our faith has its origin. That it is from Jesus right? And that it is fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the author. He is the founder. He is the perfecter of our faith. Okay, so what does that mean then? What does it mean for him to be the author and perfecter of our faith? It means that he is the one, Jesus, who along with God the Father and who along with God the Spirit, they had this amazing uh, device, this amazing decree, this amazing plan to save people like you and me, okay? That God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, that they've devised this amazing plan to save fallen people like you and me. And it was a plan that involved God, the Son, coming into his creation, humanity, taking on human flesh. And it was a plan that as a man, that Jesus, in his flesh, as a man, would suffer humiliation and death all for the purposes of your salvation. Okay? To save you. So you see, Jesus, he is the beginning of our faith. He is the forerunner of our faith. And so before anything ever happened in your life, before anything ever happened in life in general, before anything ever happened inside this world or this galaxy or this universe, he is the one who predetermined the course of everything, including your life. He knows the beginning of your life. He knew before you were even conceived. He knew you when you were being constructed in the womb of your mother. He knew you even right now, and he'll know you all the way to the day that you breathe your last breath. He is the one who has blazed the path of faith because Jesus is the one who, as a man, actually lived the life, who actually ran the course himself, and he persevered through all the ins and outs, through the beginning to the middle to the end. He is the all, end all, be all. He did it all. Even in the most impossible situations, he has completed it. So Jesus isn't just Jesus. He is the origin of our faith. Jesus isn't just Jesus. He is the author of our faith. Jesus isn't just Jesus. He is the perfecter of our faith. In other words, your true faith or true faith for us, it originates in Jesus. This whole thing that we've been talking about, the gospel, that was his design. It wasn't something that you and I just kind of created. Okay? 
Jesus is the one who made the gospel. He's the one who made the gospel real. He's the one who made the gospel full. And he's the one who made it alive. But not only is he the author, <coughs> he's also the perfecter of our faith. So Apostle Paul, he says this. He says in the Bible that all the promises in God have their amen in Jesus. In other words, Jesus is the fulfillment. He's the goal, the point of all that God has ever said and done. Right? So all the promises of God have their amen in Jesus. In other words, it goes through Jesus. It's sanctioned by Jesus. It is approved by Jesus. It is completed in Jesus. So you see from Genesis to, what's the last book of the Bible? Revelation, right? It's not Revelations, by the way. It's Revelation. Okay? The Bible points to Jesus. Jesus is the centerpiece of God's saving plan. So whenever you talk to a non-believer and they say, well, what's the Bible about? You can say, it's about Jesus. Because that's what it is. It's about God's saving plan in Jesus. Jesus fulfills every part of God's revealing or revelation to us in the Bible. So what does that mean for us then? <clears throat> it means that whenever you guys have the dilemma or the question in your life about what is the meaning of life, what is my purpose in life, what am I supposed to do in life, when those questions hit you, the answer is this, that this life of yours, this journey of yours that you're in, this race that you are in is all about knowing Jesus. It's all about knowing Jesus more than anything else. Well, Pastor David, isn't life about pursuing happiness? No. Isn't it about getting married and having kids and creating a legacy and, and, and being good to society and contributing as a good citizen to this world? No. Isn't it about just enjoying the pleasures and the fruits of, of labor and work and, and going on vacations and just doing the daily grind? No, 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 no. It's not. Isn't it about like being like Elon Musk and making a mark in this world as, as like Iron Man, you know? Making a mark, creating a legacy. No, it's not. This journey, this race is all about knowing Jesus. Being a Christian is not cold. It's not some cold spirituality, okay? It's deep. It's warm. It's intimate. It's personal. The whole of Scripture it constantly points to the revealing of Jesus so that we might know him. Every time you read the Bible, God is saying, I'm revealing these words to you and directing you so that you might know Jesus, my son. Everything. All that. So that we would understand that the whole life is to know Jesus and make him known, right? So here it is. If you fail to keep focus on Jesus, <coughs> then you've lost sight of your life's purpose. And that's a scary thought. If you lose sight and if you fail to keep focus on Jesus, then you've lost sight of your life's purpose. If, but if you fail to keep, and if you fail to keep focus on Jesus, then you've lost sight of your destiny. So the Jewish people, the audience here of Hebrews, they had a problem. They were constantly being tempted to think that they could abandon Jesus and place their focus on keeping the law. Okay? Have you heard that statement before? Um, I, it could be used for girls or guys, but they say, you can, take the country out, you can take the girl out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the girl. That kind of saying, right? You can take the country, you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. Meaning what? That there will always be just a kind of a part of him or her that will always be just connected to their roots. Well, the Jewish people, what were they always about? They were always about the law, right? 
So, but these Jewish people, they were considered believers. So they accepted Jesus and they love him and all this stuff and they praise him and they worship him. But a big part of who they are, their lineage, their background is still about the law. And so they're having a hard time kind of creating that balance. They're having a hard time placing Jesus above the law. And so honestly, I think that's our problem too. Maybe right now you think that life is about you because all of society and the way that you're grown up is all about success. It's about materialism, right? How many times have our parents said, you know what, <clears throat> all I want you to do is be happy. Wait, has any parents ever said that to you? Yeah, I would hope so, right? Have any parents ever said, all I want you to do is also to be successful? I mean, they may not have actually said it, but they've certainly pushed you in that direction, right? And so we're kind of raised that way. And so when, I'm, when you're hearing now me saying to you, no, 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 Jesus is the purpose of your life, you're kind of having that kind of like this identity issue, this, this kind of conflict in your mind and your heart. Because you've been told the whole time to pursue happiness and pursue success. But now you're hearing, no, only pursue Christ. Does there ever wonder why when people who only live for themselves and their ambitions, that as full as their life may look outwardly, that there's still a desperate loneliness in their lives? Why is that? Because they've missed the mark. They stopped fulfilling their purpose. So you can't abandon your purpose and live fulfilled. You can't abandon Jesus and expect to live a life to, that was, that's filled with peace and assurance of hope. That can only be found when you know Jesus because he is the origin. He's the beginning. You got to get back to it. You got to get back to him. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. So fix your faith on him. So the second reason to focus our faith on Jesus is because he's focused on saving you. <coughs> he's focused on saving you. <clears throat> the Bible says, Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Have you guys ever waited for something? What's the one thing that you've actually waited for? Anyone? What have you waited for? Did anyone? Uh, so I heard the new uh, Star Wars movie came out, and I heard it had good ratings. Did anyone actually wait for that, like wait in line? No? Okay. Um, so I remember when Lord of the Rings first came out, right? Uh, the first one is The Fellowship of the Ring. And I went to the preview, so uh, the day, the night before, right? And um, <clears throat> I got free tickets and all this stuff, and I went with, I think, a couple of church peeps. And it was like, showing was like at 10 o'clock at night. Uh, my bedtime is like 9, so it was just really difficult. But I went, and there was a huge line. It was so funny because um, I'm, 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 I'm a big fan, <clears throat> but I'm not going to really geek out over it. The people in front of me and behind me were dressed up. Like, they were literally dressed up as, like, Frodo, Gandalf. They're dressed like, someone just wrote, someone just was being super lazy, and they just wore a bathrobe. Anyways, um, so we waited. These guys waited in line. I already got tickets, so I was okay, so I just waited in line to get in. But there are people who are actually trying to wait in line to get tickets and all that stuff. Anyways, so we wait for stuff. When the new iPhone X came out, people did the whole waiting in line, Right? They did. Uh, when <coughs> the new Tesla car Model 3 was introduced, I think within the first hour, like 100,000 people made a deposit. Like it's crazy. Maybe it's not 100,000. Maybe it was like 10,000. I don't know. But a lot of people, right when the car was just saying, hey, when Elon Musk said, hey, we're going to build this car, people were like, here's my money. Take it. I want it. And so what's crazy is after they made their deposit, they waited nearly two and a half 
years, three years, and I believe people still today are still waiting to get their car. It's crazy. The life of the people in the Bible, it was all about waiting. Waiting, waiting, waiting. How many of you guys love waiting? Yeah, that's why we hate the DMV. You know what happened to me last week? <clears throat> so I had to get a renewed registration, right? Um, and I didn't know that there was, I, didn't, I haven't gone to the DMV in like over a decade. Everything is online, which is wonderful. But I had to go in line because online there wasn't some, uh, the option wasn't there for me. So I went there to, just to renew a registration. So there I am waiting like an idiot in line, right? And I can tell what people ate for lunch. And everyone just smells something. I smell some garlic. I'm like, ah, oh, we got a curry in here. I'm like, and you can see, you can hear, you smell and all this stuff. I'm just like waiting in line and line, waiting, 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 waiting. And then finally, like, as I'm coming close and I'm almost like, I probably have just one other person in front of me until I get to the uh, front. Uh, people are waiting and the line is going out the door. Finally, the security guard comes in. And I think he just, he was coming to assist and he says, uh, anyone here <clears throat> have anything uh, like, you need to get a new picture for your photo. It was like one lady raised her hand. And he's like, what are you doing there? Go over there. And she's like, oh, okay. And she gets to leave from like the back of the line. And then she, I could see she kind of just quickly got her picture and she was done. And then he comes back. He's like, anyone here needs to renew their registration. I'm like, like this. And he's like, what are you doing there? Like, he was, like, really being sassy. What are you doing there, man? You got to go over there. And there's an express line. And so I go there, right? And, like, I wait 10 seconds, and the woman's like, can I help you? I'm like, I need new registration. And then she goes, $1. I'm like, here's a dollar. She's like, bye. That was it. That was it, and I was so bummed, right? We hate waiting. The whole Bible is all about people just waiting. It's about people who are, you know, waiting, waiting, because why? Jesus told them to wait, and brothers and sisters, right now, in your life right now, God is telling you, you got to wait too. You got to wait, because they're waiting for Jesus to return, and guess what? We're not in any different stage. We're also waiting for Jesus to return. How many of you guys want Jesus to return? Why do you want Jesus to return? I want Jesus to return because I want to meet the man, the God, the one who saved my soul. I want to see the gloriousness of his face. I want to hug and embrace him. Jesus told us to wait. And so, for the people, especially in Hebrew, the audience here, they were waiting and they were persevering. And they were even enduring. But you know who waited and persevered and endured it most of all for you? It was Jesus. More than you could have ever waited, more than you could have ever persevered, more than you could have ever endured for, for anyone, Jesus did it. Because he didn't just wait, he endured. He endured scorning and shame and opposition from wicked people. And he didn't just endure, he suffered. He suffered in humiliation and shame and pain, a crucifixion. And he didn't just suffer as someone who's just in a really bad situation. No, he actually gave up his life in joyful expectation, knowing that the giving up of his life would result in the salvation of your life. Does that make sense? There was joyful expectation on his end. So if in life and death, Jesus was focused on saving you, man, then shouldn't we at the very least live for him by focusing our faith on him? 
So how do we do that? Well, in showing gratitude for our salvation, we've got to change our attitude. Turn to your neighbor and say, change your attitude. Say to your neighbor, you disgust me. Change your attitude. According to verse 3, the cure <clears throat> or the antidote to growing weary and losing heart is to keep your eyes focused on Jesus. How many of you guys ever uh, have gone through like a depressed season in life? Yeah. I think, I think a lot of us, right? We've gone through some depressed moments, maybe even some suicidal moments. Maybe we've even thought about cutting. Maybe we thought about just ending our lives. Maybe we thought about all these, all these, all these things, and, and we just lost heart. Verse 3 says, you know what? The cure to all that, your depression, those emotional moments of weakness, those times of just complete lostness, is to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Like we all get discouraged in life, we all get depressed, we all feel worthless at, at times, and we just want to kind of call it quits, and maybe that's what happens for you right now. Maybe that's the season you're in right now, meaning that you're just kind of at a low point. But you see, when we stop looking at Jesus, when we stop looking at him, when we stop fixating and focusing on Jesus, then we begin to think about the problems that we face. And then we begin to see our problems as something that are big and monstrous and foreboding, but we also see our problems as something that's abnormal. And what I mean by that is this. We say, how can this be? It's abnormal. It's not usual. How can my problems be this way? And so we begin to think that God is at fault, that we begin to think that God is not playing fair with us so that he's giving us more than we can bear and that's becoming way too much for us to endure. And so we start shaking our fists at God and we say, God, how could you ever do this to me? But when you're focused on Jesus, we realize that people only treat us like they treated him. And the problems and the troubles of this world are all actually pretty normal. That the problems that you face in this world and in your life, as unique as it is to you, that they're all actually quite normal considering it's all being done in this broken, fear-driven world. You see, when we fail to focus on Jesus, our expectations of what ought to be become skewed and rearranged. Right? See, here's the thing. When you, when you stop focusing on Jesus and when you get problems, you start thinking, um, this is not right. How can this happen to me? And we start saying stuff like this. I deserve better. I deserve better than this. I'm owed more than this. I should not be treated this way. We start saying stuff like that. And so we are these expectations that we have. It becomes all skewed and rearranged. But when our faith is on Jesus, the world and all this confusion, it begins to make sense. It begins to make sense. Like, for instance, I got a baby. When my son cries, do I get upset? Now, here's the thing. There are some very immature parents who might get very upset, but... For the most part, I think most adults, most parents, when their baby starts crying, they don't get upset. Why? Why shouldn't parents, why shouldn't you one day when you have a kid and they cry, why shouldn't you get upset at your infant? <clears throat> huh? Because babies cry. When my dog barks, 
or when he licks himself in inappropriate places, should I get upset? <laughs> well, maybe when it's done, like when people are done, I'm like, dude, come on, man. But like, should I get upset? No, because dogs bark. And dogs, they really do lick themselves in inappropriate places, right? Like when I go up to Boston, if I were to ever visit the Northeast, which I would never, ever do, and I go into the dead of winter and it's minus three degrees, and I go outside and say, why is it so cold? Does that make any sense? No, because that's what the Northeast does. It is cold. It is extremely cold. So why would we get upset at a broken world for acting broken? You, you tracking with me? Why would we get upset at a world that is so jacked up for being and acting jacked up? Why would, we get so, why would we get so upset at a world that is so messed up for being messed up? Why? We should not. Why? Because that's what the world will do. A broken world will act broken. A messed up world will act messed up. It will act messed up. Now, if you go to verse 4, it goes even further and actually becomes a rebuke. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So this one commentary paraphrased it this way. He said, they haven't even hung you on the cross yet. Okay? So I'm going to be honest. Uh, I think I'm quite talented. How many of you guys would agree? I don't care. Right? I think I'm good at a few things. I think I'm, I can play the instrument well. I think I can play sports relatively well. And here's the thing that I'm really good at, and I'm really actually really, really impressive at, and that is I'm really good at feeling sorry for myself. Okay? Who here is really good at feeling sorry for themselves? Yeah, we got some honest people here. Those of you didn't raise your hand, you are bad. Right? It's a natural gifting of ours feeling sorry for ourselves. Can I tell you, self-pity is one of the most deadly things that can happen to you. <clears throat> it is. It will eat your soul like cancer. It will defile you. It will take you down and those around you down with you. It will turn you away from faith. It will cause you to be lost. Self-pity, which immediately produces bitterness, it is deadly. Self-pity. And I make this point because I think self-pity is always with us in some way. Like everyone has this. I wouldn't be surprised if there are some, see we have 17, 18 college students who came here and I thank God that you came here, right? But I wouldn't be surprised if there are some college students who intentionally refuse to come. Maybe you know who I'm talking about. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying. There might be some college students or people your age who were asked to come. By the way, I didn't have Jesse just Facebook everyone to invite. I had him contact every single one of the college students by person on phone and say, can you come through retreat? And I would not be surprised if there are a lot of college students here who refuse to attend this retreat, who refuse or deprive them, willing to deprive themselves of this life-giving food of God's Word, all because that they feel sorry for themselves or all because that they're bitter because someone didn't feel sorry for them enough and so they're willing to sabotage their faith and it happens all the time. Self-pity. Woe is me. No, I'm not going to go. Woe is me. You know, I've had EM full-grown adult members 
who have knocked on my door, come inside and say, Pastor David, you know what? I'm going to leave the church. And I say, why? And they said, because, I'm not kidding. They said, because I can sense that people don't care enough about me. People don't care enough about me. That's self-pity. And here's the kicker. So I'll say, I see. Well, first of all, <clears throat> I'm sorry that you feel, the way, feel that way. I sympathize with you, okay? But out of curiosity, I want to ask you this question. I'm not trying to attack you. I'm not trying to be defensive, and I don't want you to be defensive either. But let me ask you this question because you are hurt, right? And you feel like no one cares about you. But let me ask you this. <clears throat> what have you done to show your kindness and your care for them? What do you think they'll respond response will be they get super defensive super defensive they'll get upset they'll act all out because because they know that they're in the wrong you see when you're in self-pity mode it doesn't matter when truth is spoken to you when you're in self-pity mode you will not be able to see the blatant hypocrisy in your own life because right now it's all about just you and you and how horrible your life is and how messed up your life is and just how you're the victim and everything, how everyone else is at fault and how God is at fault and how the circumstances are at fault. But no, you, little old you, you are not at fault. You are the perfect one. You are the innocent one. You are the one who should be saved. That's what self-pity does. And so, in effect, Jesus says to us here, to those of us, including myself, the ones who love being just low and just being in self-pity, he says this, hey, get real. Knock it off. Get real. He says, until you have hung on the cross like me, you have no reason to feel sorry for yourself. Until you have been persecuted and humiliated and shamed and scourged and scorned and crucified and hung on that cross to die. You have no reason to feel sorry for yourself. So it is time, he says, to end your pity party session and get back to the real struggle, the real issue at hand. What is the real issue? <coughs> is the real issue your pity party? No. He says the real issue is your struggle with sin. That's what he's saying. In other words, he's saying the struggle of sin, let's get back to the real issue. It is the battle for your faith. Let's get back to that, he says. The real issue is, he says, is let's get back. Let's get back to the spiritual warfare that's happening right now in your life. Look, Jesus, he was focused on the joy of saving you <coughs> all the way to death. Now our job Yours and mine, our job is not to think about me, but think about him. And our job is to focus on trusting him with joy, even all the way to our death. All the way to our death. Finally, there's a third reason to focus our faith on him. <coughs> it's because he is able to help you. He's able to help you. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus helps you. So here's a little study tip. Anytime you read the Bible... Ask yourself this one question. It may sound very unspiritual, maybe even irreverent, but it's a good question to ask, and I think it's important. So ask yourself this, so what? Okay? So after you read the Bible, whatever passage you read, whatever devotional you do, ask yourself, so what? Because another way of, it would, another way of saying it would be this, what difference does it make in my life? Okay? Because to study and gain all kinds of knowledge of the Bible without asking this question would make it a total waste of time. 
Because if the word of God makes no difference in your life, then it is all useless information. Do you know that? It's all useless information. Um, There's this funny quote from someone. He said this, talking about how useless high school was. He said, I wish my school taught me how to do taxes. Or better yet, what taxes even were. I wish I learned real world problems. But hey, if you ever need my help, I can always tell you the Pythagorean theorem and that the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Now, you've probably heard that joke before. <coughs> I think that jest has some truth in it. <clears throat> we have to expect the word of God to be useful. We have to expect it to make a difference in our lives. So the third reason I said that Jesus was able to help us, and I get that at the end of verse 2, is because it says he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay, so what? What difference does it make to the original readers of the Hebrew? What difference does it make to you and I, people like us that are reading it right now? <coughs> First of all, all the Jewish believers, they're going through a lot of trouble during this time. They're losing heart. And maybe for us right now, you're going through a lot of problems too, right? A lot of troubles. So you're, you're facing some stuff, maybe it's relationship stuff, maybe your relationship with your mom and dad is getting worse. Like, it's just like nagging, 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 maybe it's just a lot of problems. Any, any, anyone have kind of difficulty with parents right now? Yeah, we're facing some issues, yeah? So I think that's, that's, that's a problem that we're facing, that a lot of us face, okay? Maybe the relationship you have with uh, friends is different too, it's getting worse, <clears throat> Maybe there's a lot of backstabbing. Maybe you're getting bullied even at school by peers. Maybe you're getting bullied at school by um, <coughs> ROTC leaders. I don't know, right? But then I don't know if that's considered normal. Maybe you're getting bullied at church. <laughs> anyone here getting bullied by anyone at church? Yeah, you are? Does his name rhyme with brosive? Or, or, or hesse? <laughs> right? Like, we're going through a lot. We all have problems in our lives. Turn to neighbor and say, I got problems. <clears throat> okay, so our Jesus, he's not some ancient founder of our religion. Do you know that Jesus is alive? Amen? Amen. He's living, right? Do you know that he's risen? Amen? Amen? Do you know that he is ruling? Amen? And so presently, he is at the right hand of God, and he is lording over everything. He is reigning over us all, and I think that should be a massive encouragement to us. You know, so when Buddhists, when they like, worship Buddha and do all this Buddhist stuff, like, you know, you know who their god is or where their god's at? Six feet under the ground, somewhere. Or maybe he's cremated. I have no idea. Right? So he's kind of like... He's just kind of, you know, as Mufasa said to Simba, just grasp for the antelope, right? What about, what about Muhammad? Where's he at? Yeah, he's dead too. Again, six feet under the ground, you know, like powerless, lifeless. Where's Joseph Smith? You know who Joseph Smith is, right? The, uh, the prophet for the uh, Jehovah Witness, the one who's considered the, uh, the, the last prophet who actually... Uh, um, was able to create the actual Bible, untainted scripture. Where is he at? What was it? Sorry, was it Mormon? Yeah. Oh, sorry, my bad, Mormon. Right? Doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> right? Like, where is he at? Buried, dead, lifeless. 
Jesus is at the right hand of God. Hallelujah. He was buried, but then after three days, he's like, surprise, I'm alive. Like this thing that, that dominates every single human person that has ever existed cannot dominate me. This thing that would defile and break down the body of all these people, the billions and billions of people that have ever existed, it can't touch me. You see, my life, my body is new. I am God. He's at the right hand of God. And so that should encourage us. And I think there's a few things I want to mention about that. First is this, that Jesus' path of glory to get to that point was through a path of suffering. <coughs> Jesus' rise to the right hand of God was one that was first paid with suffering and humiliation. I think maybe this is an important lesson for all of us to understand. Because in order for us to live unashamedly, it means that life will not be easy. Okay? It's not going to be easy. So this path to eventual glory is first a life that will have to walk through humiliation in order for you to be exalted. This life right now that you're living will be a life of suffering in order for you to be exalted and glorified. 1 Peter 4 says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Jesus, you are blessed for the spirit of God and his glory rests upon you. So the encouragement is that, yes, it's going to be difficult. Turn to your neighbor and say, your life will be hard. But that's when you know you're on the right path. The path that will lead to glory, the path that will lead to Christ is not an easy path. Secondly, another way that Jesus helps us is because Jesus is in control. He's in control. Have you ever felt like life was out of control? All right, one problem after the other, one tragedy after another, one pain after another, and you're thinking, what the heck is going on right now? <clears throat> so sometimes and oftentimes actually, you just kind of want to give up. Or sometimes you, become, you want to just become apathetic and kind of numb to the things of life. Or maybe, maybe because life is so difficult, so hard, maybe life is so chaotic, you just kind of want to join the, join the flow. In other words, you want to actually do what is wrong, do what is bad, do what is immoral, do what is evil. And so we kind of lose integrity and we start living in the flesh. We start living in the world because we say, you know what, if you can't beat him, why don't we just join him? Ephesians 1 says this, Christ was raised from the dead, seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly realms, far above rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. So what is this saying? It's saying this, if Jesus is the reigning king, there is absolutely nothing in this life, no matter how traumatic, no matter how dramatic, no matter how tragic that happens, that will ever, ever take us and spin us out of control. You see, you may not fully understand what he is doing in your life right now. Even in the midst of the chaos of your life, you may not fully comprehend his ways and his methods and the way that he's ruling you and leading you and directing you. But that's why it's called faith. We're supposed to trust him. That's why it's called faith. You know, there's a story I shared with uh, the youth group I, when I spoke at the retreat a few years ago. I'm going to share with you guys. <coughs> there was a little boy and his dad. They were living in, uh, like, the Sahara. 
and uh, the boy often played outside. And you guys know, this, or maybe it was the outback of Australia. You guys know Australia, right? Australia is that they, uh, there's kangaroos and that every other animal and insect there wants to kill you. Right? Australia. It's crazy. <clears throat> um, so there they were in the outback. <coughs> and you know they have snakes that are just super venomous and all that stuff. Um, so one day... The uh, little boy was playing underneath a tree, and as he was playing, the dad steps out of the porch, and then he goes, Son! He wasn't smiling like the way I was. He's like, Son! Stop! So the little boy just stops, just frozen. And he says, Listen to me carefully. Get down on the ground. And so the boy just obediently falls to the ground. And then the dad says, Now crawl to me slowly. So the boy starts crawling to his dad. And after he does that for like 20, 30 paces, the dad quickly gets his son, picks him up. And then as the boy turns around, he sees this cobra hanging from the limb of the tree right above where the little boy is playing. Now, you can imagine if that little boy was a bit rebellious and more a little bit disobedient, what would he have done? Son! Stop what you're doing. No. <laughs> Son, get on the ground. No. I don't know why you're randomly asking me to go on the ground. I will not. If anything, I will now jump up even higher. Son, crawl this way. I'm going to go further away from you, Dad, and into the shrubs, into the tree, up higher. Right? There's a snake hanging there. He goes, no, Dad, I'm going to bite I know life is confusing, and you don't have all the answers. And I know the certain things that God is asking you to do doesn't make sense. But you have to trust that He knows you, and He knows your scene, He knows where you're at in life, and He knows what's best for you. So God is calling you to trust Him, have faith in Him. He's in control. Amen? Finally, Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Father helps us because he intercedes for us. <clears throat> okay, so a few years ago, <coughs> Grace and I, we purchased a bed. It was a nice, like, Tempur-Pedic bed, uh, but it was a bit pricey. But like they said, if we spend nearly a third of our lives sleeping, maybe we should be investing in a good bed. Right? That's sage advice. So, we got a new bed, and uh, to buy it, we opened up a store credit card. Now, if maybe you guys right now, you guys, yeah, I would recommend this. Even at this age right now, until you get a job, open up a credit card, but don't ever use it. And if you do use it, quickly pay it off, like build your credit. Anyways, so this store credit card had a really good deal. It was 0% interest for two years, meaning I could just pay off the thing without having to actually add more or pay more for two years. That's awesome. So, long story short, we were having problems with our payments because it seemed like they were adding interest to our payments. So instead of the like $150 monthly installments, that should have been 150 flat rate every single month, it became like 150, 153, 165, and all this stuff. And so we're like, no, what's going on? So I called them, and then they would direct us to the store. <coughs> and then the store would direct us to somewhere else. And that somewhere else would direct us to the bank. And the bank would direct us back to the store. And the store would direct us there. 
and on and on and on. By the way, I will never ever use Synchrony Bank again. Okay. But do you know what the worst thing was throughout that entire ordeal? It was the fact that I felt no one really cared about my problems. No one cared. Like no one stood up to help me. It was just a constant passing me down to someone else. I'd be someone else's problem. Now, my problem, even though it really sucked, multiply my problem exponentially, and what you have there is the human problem, the human predicament. Our lives are full of problems, and some of us, it's because we made it, our, we have made foolish decisions, and some is because other people um, have, it's been done to us, so we were the victims in that. But some of these problems are also just simply the result of circumstances that really have nothing to do with us, but we get hit with it no matter what. So where do we turn? Not to Synchrony Bank. Where do, who do we turn to? We turn to who? It says in Hebrews 4, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. <coughs> has anyone ever been let down when they've asked for help from a friend? I have. Has anyone ever been let down? So you guys aren't married. You know... How many times I failed Grace? Many times. And she's failed me. She has. You know how many times my parents have failed me? Many times. You know how many times I failed my parents? Many times. The, what's the point? The point is, you and I keep looking towards failed, broken things to somehow fix us and lead us and guide us. Jesus is able to help us because he actually understands us. He is perfect. He is fulfilled. He, he understands that the road of glory goes through the valley of shadow of death, and he's gone through the valley of shadow of death. He's able to help us because he is above everything. All power and authority is under his control. Jesus is able to help us because his ear is open to our cries as he intercedes for us before the Father. He prays for us. You know that? He's at the right hand of God interceding for you. So right now, even though you're going through a lot of muck and you don't know how to pray, you can have full confidence knowing that the Son of God is actually praying for you and interceding on your behalf. Like he is actually speaking to the Holy Spirit, hey, hey, you know what? David's kind of going through a hard time and he doesn't know how to word it right. Maybe he's right now living a life of rebellion, but guess what? He's still my child. He's still uh, someone I have saved. So Holy Spirit, lead him, guide him, empower him, equip him. Jesus is doing that for you. Isn't that nice? He is interceding for us. This passage, it really reminds us with what I think is a nice conclusion to this retreat. Ultimately, it reminds us that this home, this world of suffering and brokenness, is not our real home. Can everyone say glory hallelujah to that? Yeah. Are you happy about that? Like this life, is, this world is nice. Right? It's okay. Um, but I thank God it's not my final destination. It's not. This is not where you will experience glory. It's not. But every day, every year, every part of our lives, I think you have to constantly remind yourself that right now until the day that you breathe your last breath is to know that you are in a journey, on a journey. You're on a journey. So to live in boldness, to live in faith, to live in truth is to live focused on Jesus. 
That's what it means to live unashamedly. That's what it means to live as a disciple of Christ. That's what it means to live in light of glory. It's to focus your faith on Jesus. Why? Because he is our hope. Because he's the author and perfecter of our faith. Why? Because he saved us. Because he endured the cross for the joy of our salvation. And finally, Jesus is able to help us because he sits at the right hand of God and lords over our lives. And that he will be with us. He will walk with us so that we can live a life. That even though we face a lot of problems, a lot of issues, a lot of, a, a, a lot of kind of, um, I guess, persecution and humiliation, whatever you want to call it, that we will not be ashamed of the gospel. He will confidently and securely empower you and live in such a way where you will not be ashamed of the gospel. You know, Jesus, he's going to help you on your path. But don't expect your path to be easy right now. If you want to live unashamedly for the sake of the gospel, you got to focus on him. Let him be your compass. Let him be your guiding truth. Let him be your everything. So that even if Grace were to lose her entire professional career as a medical doctor, all for the sake of knowing Christ and glorifying him, she would say it was worth it. Can you say that about your life? I hope and pray that you could one day, if not today. You get what I'm saying? Okay, so let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we want to proudly walk as your children. We want to proudly walk as your children and proudly represent you well. And we know that it's not easy by any means. We know that we're going to get hit with a lot of Opposition and distractions, whatever you want to call it. But Lord, we also know that you're with us. So maybe right now we're not getting hit with a lot of persecution in our lives. Maybe it's like not too hard. Maybe, yeah, we face little trials here and there. Um, but maybe we are distracted then. We're just so like focused on boys and girls. We're kind of just focused on our own careers, our own agenda. We're focused on a kind of our own self-pitying. I don't know. Father, maybe um, we're having a real difficult time focusing on you and placing our faith in you. I want Today's message should be an encouragement to those who are going through a hard time. That this life is not the end for you. Okay? So the Lord says, be patient. <clears throat> Persevere. Endure. Keep fighting the fight. Keep battling through. Because in this valley, shadow of death, on the other side, there is glory. Okay, so know that and for those of you who are distracted <clears throat> he says focus focus on him because then you'll know what true purpose in life is because if you don't focus on him and you chase after the things that have nothing to do with him then you are in for a rude awakening one day I guarantee it the Bible promises it the Lord reveals in Scripture that
that one day you'll wake up miserable. You'll wake up empty. You'll wake up depressed and broken and humiliated. And you're going to think, what has my life been for? What has all this I've been aspiring and trying to succeed and try to accomplish and achieve, what has all this been for? Just to make a few more dollars than the next guy? Just to have a nice little house with a white picket fence? Just to have a wife, a husband, and some kids? Is that really the purpose of my life? To just work, play, eat, and die? Is that really what I was meant to be, meant to do? Or maybe there's a greater divine purpose, something that I don't fully comprehend right now, but there's a greater divine purpose. But even though I may not understand how it's going to happen, what's going to happen, and how to go about doing it, I at least know that there is someone who is called the Savior of the world, who is and was and is to become, that Jesus is at the right hand of God, and that He is ruling and reigning, and He is in control of everything. And though I lack all control, that I can trust and follow Him. So maybe right now I need to walk in faith and focus my faith on Christ. <clears throat> so without saying any more, let's pray, okay? This is the last day. This is it. We're done. And you go into the real world. The bubble of good old retreats is now about to burst. And you're going to enter into the demonic playground of distractions, of temptations, of whatever you want to call it. Will this retreat, will these words have been spoken, these past four sermons, will it just be an afterthought, one ear and out the other? Or will you allow these words to echo throughout your heart and mind? Will you allow yourself to be challenged and transformed? Okay, so let's go ahead and pray.